0: it's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the Word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, apostle grace with the Word. Today I'm going to teach about witchcraft, a biblical understanding of witchcraft. When we discuss witchcraft, there are different thoughts and ideas and definitions of witchcraft. And why do I emphasize a biblical understanding? of witchcraft, because there are many traditional understandings of witchcraft that have crept in unawares in the body of Christ, and they have become doctrine, they've been taught as doctrine. These things are not true, they're not aligned to biblical teaching, and these are the foundations that have eroded the power that we know is supposed to be available to everyone who believes. This is a conversation that I know not many people are able to have because not many people actually have an understanding of this topic. Not many. And some who try to teach it go more traditional than revelation. And then they do more harm than good, as I emphasized. In the last days, the Bible says the spirit speaketh expressly that men shall give heed to doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. And so when doctrines of devils and seducing spirits teach us about witchcraft, you see, we get a wrong understanding about witchcraft. And there's a deception or delusion in many people that the more fascinating it is, the more amazingly deep it is, the more they are walking out of freedom. And when you look at Jesus Christ and his ministry, you see that there are things he did not invest so much time into. Paul did not invest so much time into. Peter did not invest so much time into. Unfortunately, these are the things that are so engaged in the present ministry of the body of Christ. And this is because maybe we have not understood the mandate of Jesus Christ, or we have so much heeded to things that are not from God and we've called them truth. But it does not mean that there is no witchcraft. No witchcraft does exist. So whatever I'm going to read for you, I'm going to come from biblical. I'll also be giving a contrast of a few things that I believed in the world. But a man or woman of wisdom will understand the difference. Somebody shout, hallelujah. Now, what is witchcraft? The word witch, right? Craft is a work, right? The word witch is related to an old Anglo-Saxon word called wicca. Okay? Which means one that knows. Does that ring a bell? Does that ring a bell? One that knows. What do they know? You see? If you listen to the previous sermon on Forbidden Wisdom, you'll understand what they know. It's the assumption of what they believe to know that the normal human being does not or cannot connect to. And, um, Because of that kind of knowledge, not many people know the difference between divine wisdom and forbidden wisdom. And today, even in our pulpits, we are preaching forbidden wisdom and not divine wisdom because we have not transitioned even when the covenant was meant to transition us into higher places of knowledge. Somebody shout amen. Now, if we have to go deep into understanding witchcraft from a biblical perspective, if this word witch comes from the Anglo-Saxon wicca, which means one which knows, that is more from an English perspective. If we go biblical, the word witch in the biblical days did not make sense. It was not a word that they had in the original Hebrew language. What you read as witch is translated from an old Anglo-Saxon word. You understand? So from your English translations, there are spaces you will read witchcraft. But if you go in the Hebrew culture, there's no word called witchcraft. If you go in the old ancient Hebrew language, there's no word called witchcraft. You see? But there are representations of the idea, and that's what I want to define for you biblically. All right? Now, there are two words in the Hebrew that denote witchcraft. Two words. In Exodus, the 22nd chapter, the 18th verse, the Bible says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Now, your English word there is witch. But the Hebrew word there is kawsheth. And kawsheth means a sorcerer. They never called it witchcraft. They called it sorcery, a sorcerer. And who is a sorcerer? One which has learned to properly whisper a spell. That is to enchant or practice magic. Are we together? To enchant or practice magic. To know how to cast a spell. That is sorcery. That is the biblical definition. Well, you have it as witch or witchcraft, but they saw that word kaushaf, as sorcery. The second word there is kesem, kesem, and kesem also means divination. Divination. So, when talking about divination, you're talking about kesem and. Those two, divination and uh, sorcery, those were the two things that defined witchcraft or did not witchcraft in your present day. Are we clear on that? If I have to go a bit deep into divination, if you go in Hebrew culture, if you go into scripture, you will see examples of divination even by men of God you will see representations and characteristics of the spirit of divination. What is divination? Divination is the ability to foretell, to speak into the destiny of a future of an individual by the help of a familiar spirit. By the help of a familiar spirit. I never want you to forget that. Okay? I'll give you a couple of examples in the Bible to help you understand What I mean. In 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, the first verse, it speaks of a very uh, popular lady called the Witch of Endor. The Witch of Endor. Now, here's the story. This woman appears in a time when Saul has a challenge. The Philistines have gathered armies together to attack and destroy Israel. And during that time, if we will go a bit uh, back, there was something that happened in 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. God, through the man of God, Samuel, sends a word and an instruction to the king Saul to destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were enemies of Israel. They had frustrated the Israelites in the time after they had crossed in the wilderness. God kept that record. And then he tells him, you know what? Go back and slay or smite the Amalek, smite their sons, smite their daughters, smite their animals, clear everybody and the king also. And so, by the instruction of the prophet Samuel, goes into war to destroy the Amalekites. And after destroying all the people. The Bible says he gets the oxen, he gets the goats and the rams of the Amalekites, and then he seizes them for spoil. And God appears to Samuel and tells him that this man has run out of favor with me because he disobeyed my command. I asked him to kill everybody and everything, the ox and the sheep, everything was supposed to die. But Saul did not obey and God said, I have replaced him already. He is no longer king of Israel. That is why when you go into the 16th chapter, that is when God ordains David, when Samuel is still mourning over the fall of Saul. But if we go to the 20th verse, Saul says to Samuel, I obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which God sent me and have brought Agat, the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed all the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has God the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou has rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected thee from being king. Somebody shout hallelujah. When we see this experience of God rejecting this man being king, if you read in the down of verses, the Bible tells us Samuel never met Saul ever again. I want you to underline that. He never spoke to him or met him or gave divine counsel to him ever again. So the voice of God silenced from Saul from that day. But when we go into the place of emphasis here where he says the sin of witchcraft, he says the sin of rebellion, the word there used is kelsem, not kaushaf. It's kelsem. It's interesting if you're a student of the word. Didn't I say kelsem is divination? He is accusing Saul of divination. Samuel is accusing Saul of the spirit of divination, because it's saying your rebellion is as witchcraft. And the word there, witchcraft, is kelsem All right? And he defines the spirit of rebellion as one which hides itself in the spirit of divination. Why? Because God said, destroy everything. And the only way they will not destroy what God has destroyed, this man's soul has to establish another oracle in the name of God. Saul has to establish another oracle in the name of God. If he does not define or if he does not say anything beyond what God has told him to do or say, is still within the confines of truth. If he goes beyond what God has instructed him to do or say, especially in the place where he will speak on behalf of God or as though God said what God did not say, That expression to God is witchcraft. That is the rebellion. I hope you're following. You see that? So because of how Saul responded to divine instruction, God never spoke to Saul again because he sees that in him there's abilities, an ability of converting or changing what God has said to suit his own lust and then saying beyond divine instruction. So God never speaks to him ever again. Now, fast forward, Samuel has gone to be with the Lord as the scripture is given in 1 Samuel 28. Now we have this conversation and it's important that I first come from 15 to get to 28. In 28, the Philistines have turned themselves against Saul. Saul is worried that a defeat is imminent before him. And the Bible says during that time, Saul had gotten rid of all diviners, of all false prophets. He was trying to walk right with God. And so there were no people in that time. He had actually killed almost all soothsayers or sent some away out of Israel. He was tired of um, diviners. And he needs to inquire of the Lord what to do with the Philistines. And he prays and prays and prays, but he receives no word from God. He consults the prophets of that time, and there is no answer from God. So he calls his servants and says, do we have a diviner? Can you seek me a woman with a familiar spirit that I might inquire of her concerning my destiny? What is in the mind of Saul? Question." to look for a woman with a familiar spirit because he knows that in that time of Israel, there were people which were believed in courts to have power to speak to the dead, to conjure the spirits of the dead. Present day, says and necromancy. Right? So this woman was a necromancer and they bring him a woman and then he goes before this woman hidden. He did not want to uh, show her that he was a what? A king. Why? Because he feared that she would not give him a divination. Why? He was against diviners in that day. So she's amazed that it is him. Oh, you're the king. You deceive me. ETC. Long and short, he makes his request. He says, I'm seeking information concerning the destiny of Israel and the war that is coming before us with the Philistine. Can you call up the spirit of Samuel? so I can speak with Samuel and ask him what God is saying. Now, this woman, because it's her art in the story it is given, she calls out or conjures the spirit of Samuel in courts, And then she sees an old man, the Bible says, with a mantle. She screams, I see a man coming from under and he's like a god. So she's the one seeing the man, but Saul cannot see the man, which in this narrative is believed to be Samuel. And he asks her, what is he dressed like? She said, he is putting on a mantle, he's putting on a robe, and he looks godly. And the Bible says, Saul perceived that it was Samuel. According to what the woman so and the Bible says he stooped his face to the ground and bowed himself to that ground. The spirit supposed of Samuel comes up and said to him, "Why did you disquiet me? Why did you bring me up So, you see, why did you call me? Now, at that point, it is not that the spirit of Samuel is standing here, the necromancer is standing here and Saul is here. no. at that point, she is speaking on behalf of. The supposed Samuel. Are you following what I'm saying? Uh huh. Now, this is what amazes me. Saul comes and tells the supposed Samuel that the Philistines have made war against me, and God is departed from me, and I cannot hear him. And I've consulted the prophets, none is giving me answers, neither have I any dreams. And therefore, I called you that you may make known unto me what I shall do. Now, listen to this deception. Samuel, the spirit, said, why do you ask me, seeing the Lord is departed from you and he has become your enemy? You see what he's telling So, Why are you asking me? Don't you know that the Lord has departed from you and he has become your enemy? And the next verse says, And the Lord has done to him as he spoke by me. You see? The Lord has done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord has rent the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, even to David. This is a woman speaking. Uh-huh. because you obeyed not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fearth worth upon the Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing unto thee. Later on, the spirit prophesies that Saul was going to be defeated under the hand of the Philistine. Now, would it amaze a person with simple common sense that the familiar spirit speaking through the necromancer begins from when Samuel last communicated with Saul. It begins from when Samuel last communicated with Saul. It says, you know, God, from the time you disobeyed him and did not destroy the Amalekites like he had instructed and you took over the spoil, from that day you left God's good book. You see, it has disqualified him. The familiar spirit can only keep account of what happened from that moment. It cannot go beyond. And so it uses common sense, are you hearing me? To get from that very, very place and then pronounce judgment on a man who has already offended the laws of the spirit. A king of God cannot consult a familiar spirit. So it's spoken to his destiny and it was so. So if you're not very keen, you might confuse and think that that was actually Samuel speaking. It wasn't Samuel speaking. No. When people die, some people live with familiar spirits. That is why you realize that people who communicate to the dead, mediums, necromancers, seances the French word there for a session, who have sessions with the dead, or ghosts of spirits, you realize that the people who usually are contacted many times are not people of god usually they're not people of god why because the dead have no business with the living we all know that but there are familiar spirits that walked around this individual they sat in meetings where you were not because the individual was there they understood the thoughts of the individual they can relate with the families of the individual So when this person is long gone, this familiar spirit still has information about this individual. So when people say that, let us call back the dead, what they're really doing is they're getting spirits that walked with those people, around those people, related with those people. If he is a man of God, it cannot go deeper than what it saw. Are you hearing me? That is why in the event of Samuel, it only gives account of that last event when Saul last was in contact with Samuel. But if the person is not born again, they live within and even have abilities to dig information that nobody knows. And that is why even in the African culture, we still have experiences where the dead speak over people. Certain things are banned, some people smoke them or inhale them, and the dead start speaking in quote, That is a familiar spirit. Somebody shout, Hallelujah. In Numbers, the 22nd chapter, the 5th verse, a story is given of a king called Balak. You remember? And Balak has a problem with the children of Israel because they are increasing every day. He's intimidated by the increase of the children of Israel. And so he thinks, how do I stop this growth? How do I stop this influence? The Moabites are worried. And so he says, I think we need to consult a diviner. Mark you, Balak did not see Balaam as a prophet. He saw Balaam as a word, as a diviner. Kessem. Are we following? There is one underlying principle with the spirit of divination. There is something I will explain later called the reward of divination. Because every spirit of divination comes with a price to it. I'll help you understand why certain prophetic ministries in the world cannot prophesy without putting a price on their gift. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if you look at the prophets of God from old, none prophesied for a pay. In fact, we have men to whom the king brings gifts because he thinks this is a diviner. The Assyrian looks at him as a diviner, not as a prophet of God. He brings gold and silver and everything and puts it before him because he has to reward the prophet. Now what's the difference? When the Bible says do not come empty-handed before the prophet or whatever you call it, there is a difference between what my heart has to honor what's upon a man than what has become a principle and law that you cannot meet the man of God except you pay a particular price. But anyway, back to what I'm trying to tell us here. So Balak knows there's a guy who is accurate. He knows there's a guy who speaks things and they come to pass. So what does he do? In Numbers 23, the fifth verse, the Bible says he sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Boa of Bethel, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him saying, behold, there's a people that come out from Egypt. Are you hearing me? Behold, they cover the face of the earth and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, cast me these people, for they are too mighty for me. You see, proclaiming and speaking over. And I don't want you to forget that because the spirit of witchcraft is so much around confession. What is spoken? Spells are spoken. Curses are spoken. And if I go deep, I'll show you that some people do witchcraft without going to shrines. They have evil eyes and speak haughty words and hurtful words against their own people. That's witchcraft. If a pastor can say that you will die, because you've refused to attend my service. That is witchcraft. That is witchcraft. So, anyway, cast these people for me. Bala asks Balaam because he looks at him as a diviner which can turn the destinies of people by a pay. And the Bible says, verses uh, 6 uh, come now, therefore, I pray thee, cast me these people. They are too mighty for me. But adventure, I shall prevail that we might smite them and that I might drive them out of the land. For I wot uh, that he whom that Thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. I know that whoever you bless is blessed, whoever you curse is cursed. Verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination. They departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. So they come with gifts because a diviner has to obey has to respond to the request of the king. When Balaam refuses, the Bible says that the king sends more fairer princes. He sends men of the highest caliber of the kingdom of Moab. And then they come to Balaam and tell him, please come with us. And that night, scripture says that God told him, okay, now go with them. But actually, because of the Hebrew uh, causative versus permissive, there's a confusion there. Actually, the real rendering is, God let the heart of the prophet do as he felt. That is why when he sits on the donkey and the angel is standing before him, the donkey is trying to turn this man's destiny until his foot is hit and then he hits the donkey and the donkey has to speak to him again and say, look man, I have carried you all of these years. I have never broken protocol. Don't you understand that something is wrong? And God opens the eyes of the prophet to see the angel that was before him trying to tell him that is not the place that he was supposed to go. So later on, when we read about the sin of Balaam in the church, and I'll teach about that, you realize that because Balaam, later the man of the New Testament, continues his story and brings a realization that because Balaam could not curse whom the Lord had blessed, in the book of Revelation, he taught Balak how to cast a spell or how to curse the children of Israel. That's his sin. So later in Revelation, you see, I have a few things against you because you uh, hold the doctrine of Balaam, who told Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. But you see, because he could not get a curse out of the prophet, because Balaam wanted pay and he wanted money, even though he was the Lord's prophet, he found himself transacting with the spirit of darkness to see that he could get that money. So because he cannot curse whom the Lord has blessed, he teaches Balak how to cast a stumbling block on the children of Israel. That's the danger of Balaam. Yet he was 100% a prophet of God. It is very possible for a prophet to transact in two worlds because the gifting and calling of God is without repentance. Who is following what I'm saying? The gifting of God is without repentance. The calling of God is without repentance. They are prophets whether they go dark or white, they still stay prophets. And some people do not know the difference. Somebody shout amen. Curse them on the side of Balaam. They were looking for a diviner. Curse them on the witch that dealt with Saul concerning Samuel. And the list goes on and on. So those are the two basic definitions that connect to your English definition of witchcraft. It's either in the realm of sorcery or in the realm of divination. Now, when we go to the New Testament, there are also two words that define witchcraft. And I now might land in trouble, but it's not because I've said anything out of the word, but because some of you are going to ask many questions after this. When we get to the New Testament, the first conversation of the word witchcraft appears in Galatians. Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 1, All foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? Who has bewitched you? When Paul looks at these Galatians, he sees that this was not just a guy who came with a spirit of confusion and then sat among men which had received truth. He sees that there was a work of witchcraft behind that delusion that sits in the hearts of the Galatians not to obey truth. Somebody threw them off the course later He says that this persuasion did not come from the God who called you. Somebody, somebody was responsible. That is why, when Paul is beginning Galatians, he's sending a curse on whoever preaches any other gospel. Whether he says whether he be a man or an angel, let him be a curse. Why? Because he says that through the spirit of witchcraft, false doctrine has crept in unaware. They are not shaking things in their hands. They are not cutting talismans and doing your enchantments that your black magic does. No. But they are doing it through diverting the truth. They are doing it through teaching falsehood. And Paul is saying this actually is witchcraft. Those are more dangerous than the women of men who use shrines. Are you hearing me? Because they are the minister from darkness. These ones Take a man from the truth into deception. So he sees that the church in Galatia is not just deceived by guys who are teaching, actually. Behind it, there is a big spirit of witchcraft. The Greek word there is bascaino. Bascaino. And I will explain what it means it means one to speak ill of, to slander someone to traduce, what is to traduce? To bring to shame with accusation of an individual such that they can fall in a snare. Does that ring a bell when we're talking about the teaching of the law? Do you know many people don't understand what I'm saying right now? Because when a man teaches the law, the Bible says, by the law, no man shall be justified. So if it's not for the justification of man, what is it doing? It is seeking to slander. It is seeking to speak ill of the man. It is seeking to make guilt and bring shame to the image of God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, not righteousness. So he says, Galatians, which began by the spirit. In verse 3 he says, they began by the spirit. And after having begun their life of salvation by the Spirit, now they are made perfect by the flesh, he's asking them. How are they now seeking justification through the flesh? He asks them, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? How do the works of miracles and wonders come to you? Is it by the doing of the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He that gives you the Holy Spirit, the one that does wonders and miracles in your life, does it do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? A man comes into the church of Galatia. These men started in the liberty of the hearing of faith. And then somebody comes in their own teaching, started to teach the law. Are you following what I'm saying? And in teaching the law was the knowledge of sin. And in that knowledge of sin, many were brought to shame, many were brought to guilt, many were spoken ill of, many were disqualified. But here is the danger of bascaino, the Greek word. It's amazing that it is packaged in a way that charms and fascinates. If you read Ascaino or Bascaino, it fascinates, it charms. Are you following what I'm saying? So that's why I said, not everything fascinating is true. Not anything spoken that will fascinate you is true. I see people sometimes sit through things, morning hour, midnight hour, the gates of the spirit, they're open at two, they're open at midnight, they're open, and it looks so beautiful. It sounds so beautiful when you hear it. But sometimes I want to ask them, 2 a.m. in Uganda is not 2 a.m. in Malaysia. So what gate are you talking about? 3 a.m. in America is not 3 a.m. in Rwanda. So what get are you really talking about? American time or your time? Oh, so you mean these things, when they finish American time, they also come in your time and hold your gets so to command your gets. Some of you, if you don't command your morning, your morning can't move, you have a problem. You have a problem. If it was so important, Jesus would have a whole sermon on gets. The one gate we know is the gate of hell. And it cannot prevail against the gospel because we are at that gate. Satan is not on ours. No, we are on his gate. He says, on this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That means the Christian, the believer, is bringing full force on the gates of hell. So who put gates on you? What are gates for? Why do people build gates? Answer me. Why do people build gates? Protection. So, Satan has a right to put a gate because you're dangerous as a believer. In fact, it's not one gate, there are gates. Because you, as a believer, you're what? You're dangerous. So, when did you also start building gates? What do you fear? The Bible says the greater one lives inside you. At what point did you also start putting gates on you, lest they attack you? Who told you that you can be attacked by the devil and destroyed? He says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. He says, Ye are of God. And he didn't say, You shall overcome. He says, Ye have overcome them. That's past tense. Look at Elisha. How do the Assyrians come to attack him and this servant comes, oh, the Assyrian army has surrounded us. How would they surround the prophet if he was under the gates of the city? Elisha did not have gates. He was a man protected by God. And the anointing blinded these boys. Are you hearing me? Why do you think men of God move with people with guns? Those are gates. Tell your neighbor, know your keeper. He says, even if a watchman watches over the city, if the Lord is not watching over that city, the watchman watches in vain. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. So he says the Galatians were bewitched. Through doctrine, somebody diverted them from the truth and caused them to teach and preach and learn of forbidden things. The law was the schoolmaster that led you to Jesus. But after the schoolmaster, the Bible says, ye are not under the schoolmaster. Paul is explaining to them, but ye are under grace. Your leader, Christ, your teacher now, is the one by whom you are under. The Bible says that the law was brought by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus. Do you hear the difference? The law was given. Moses gave the law. Grace came. Grace and truth came by Jesus. So Moses gave us the covenant we're in. Grace came. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Not the law. But not many people are able to understand that. The last or second definition of witchcraft in the New Testament, that is according to the Greek language, because the New Testament is written in Greek, is in Galatians 5.19. Again, Paul speaks about that. He says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, Verses twenty, witchcraft, hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. Now, the word there for witchcraft in Galatians five nineteen. Anybody go and check the Greek translation. The word there for witchcraft in Galatians five nineteen is pharmakeia, from which you get the English word pharmacy and if we are to study it from the greek understanding it means the use of administering of drugs of whose end is poisoning and in there pharmacae also means sorcery pharmacae also means magical arts what is the point Not all drugs are of God. Let me first give this as a disclaimer. I believe that doctors are the extension of God's healing hand. I'm talking about the heart that wants man well. But when it comes to pharmaceuticals, not all Drugs, not all medicines do what they really are said to do. And the idea of developing drugs sometimes, or most of the time actually, does not come from heaven. I'm sorry, doctors. If you look for the report 2019, America lost 70,000 people in drug-related deaths, somewhat illicit but majority of them were prescription drugs. 70,000 people. A report was written or released by The Guardian that 250,000 children die every year due to fake drugs. Some assume they come from India or wherever, China, whatever, but they are fake drugs. 250,000 children and above die every year due to fake drugs who makes these drugs? Who makes these drugs? I have questions. I was reading a document recently and it said, prescription drugs now are the third leading killers after heart disease and cancer. Prescription drugs. And they say half of those people who died took those drugs correctly and the other half overdosed and the rest of them took these drugs despite contraindications. Pharmaceutical companies don't want this truth. I receive calls of people addicted to drugs, clinical drugs, given by doctors. I'm not against doctors, but I'm saying if you're a Christian doctor, do more than treating with the wisdom of men. Do more than treating with the wisdom of this world. Do more than that. I'm not saying all drugs are bad. I'm not saying that all drugs are wrong. But many drugs are not made by divine inspiration. That is why today you hear conversations of alternative medicines, epigenetics, because people have asked questions. Scientists can't answer the placebo effect. How can a man become so sick and they give him a placebo, a drug with no nutrient, and they tell him that this is gonna cure you, and his mind believes it and he swallows it and they're healed? Because they're trying to tell us, or oh, this reality is trying to open our eyes to the fact that there's something that has to do with a man's mind when it comes to the health of an individual. Scientists are telling us now that energy travels faster than any chemical you could ever put in the body. Epigenetics is now telling us that we can actually rewire with our brains the systems of our body. Our genes can respond to our thoughts. This is science. But they're teaching things that the Bible has spoken for thousands of years. As a man thinketh, so he is. Somebody shout hallelujah. As a man thinketh, so he is. You think you're sick, you are sick. If you don't think that you're sick, you're not sick. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, they even tell you, scientists can't explain why people age. Because as you lose billions of cells every day, you produce new cells every day. So why should the body grow old? That's why men lived with bodies for 600 years, 900 years. Something's wrong with how we are thinking. It's wrong with how we are thinking? Somebody shout, amen. So... The pharmaceutical industry is the most profitable industry in the world. But can we have discussions of people that are dying from the very drugs, from the side effects of the drugs? Why do some drugs have side effects? God is trying to tell us that if you cannot get to a place where you can learn or should learn to live by faith, you're in trouble. How do you know that something is wrong? If a man tells you that without these drugs, you will die. If you can't live with this, you will die. Do you know there are people in the world, if they can't put certain drugs in their body every day, they cannot live, they will die. That's witchcraft. How can somebody live all their life swallowing drugs? Without these, you will die. What does the Bible say? Bible says you shall lay hands on the sick. You think he did not know that viruses would be there in 2021, but he still said you lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. He knew that cancer would exist. He says whatsoever you bind on the earth, it shall be bound in heaven. If a believer does not know how to live by faith, I'm not against drugs. No. Let me emphasize this. I have emphasized this even in my ministry that I prefer you swallow your drugs as we build your faith because some people come confused and they think they have faith and they leave their drugs and die. So I don't believe in that. No, no. Do your drugs as we believe until it changes. But you must believe that it has to change. You are not called to live on a man's ID until the day you die. God gave us herbs. That's biblical. He put in the world everything a man will ever need to live his life full. The food we eat does not only maintain our bodies, but it's curative too. Are you hearing me? But do you realize that many of the drugs in this world are not preventive? Majority of the drugs wait for the problem to happen, and then they make profit. And then they make profit people are getting sick and sick more and more every day. The world now is more sick than it was a hundred years ago. Yet all kinds of medicine is in the world. So I'm not against your practice, understanding. But if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, add something to it. Add something to it. It's called faith. It's called faith. Famakeia. From a care. So, I'm not saying if you have a pharmacy, close it tomorrow. No, because there are people who need those drugs. But God wants you to grow to a point where you don't need to get anything from out to heal you within, but to learn to look within and heal yourself. Now, to him which is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which you dare to ask or think, according to the working power that worketh in us. Even new age teachers have realized that there is something in man that can reverse many things. But these people are copying what the Bible has spoken all of these years. Why does the Bible teach us to meditate on the word of God? He shall be held in peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, read this word, incline your ears to my saying. Meditate on these words. Let them not depart from your lips. For these words are life to them that find them and health to their bones. These words are life and medicine to their bones. Can you learn to use the word to heal If you cannot believe God for your health, I said you are in trouble because the wisdom of men can only hold you for some time. But you need the wisdom of God. So I'm not against science. not against medicine. I'm only saying, even if you're in a lifelong drag, you have to collect yourself in the word and see that you get your healing. You are not called to carry that virus. You are not called. The spirit of a man, the Bible says, will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. And the wounded spirits in the world are because of the ignorance or deception that has been sent in the world. I believe in Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. Let God be true and every man a liar. Somebody raise your voice and thank God for the word today. Father, we thank you for the entrance of your word. Brings light and giveth understanding to the simple. We bless you because you are renewing our minds to know the truth. And with that, we are healed, we are transformed, we are delivered, we are set free in Jesus' mighty name. And all saints said, Amen. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to repeat this as after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com you can also find us on the web at www.funero.org or better still feel free to join us every thursday for our weekly fellowships at uma multipurpose hall from 5 p.m to 8 p.m you can also catch the live stream at livestreamcom slash funero funero make manifest